Hey guys, this is Pastor Zach, and you are listening to Sermon Notes here at HPC. Turn with me to 1 Samuel. We're going to be wrapping up our we're going to be wrapping up our King's Academy series. Still not used to saying that yet. I know. This is the very first series we've ever done as a church, so it's kind of a big deal. Um, and our first and very last series. So I'm just kidding. But it, uh, I, I, I sense the Lord all over this, and I, um, I'm excited because I feel like as we've gone through this, even, even over the course of the month as we've gone through the King's Academy, different things have come up in our ranks as a church that we've been dealing with, and we're realizing how God's been addressing these things preemptively uh, through his word and through the study of it and the receptivity of it, and so the reception of it. So I just want to encourage you to open your heart. We're going to be jumping around in a couple of different um, chapters. We're going to start in chapter 27, um, but we're going to close up uh, some of the big events uh, that happened in David's life before he was uh, king of at least Judah. So uh, he was throned king in Hebron by his brothers in the tribe of Judah first before he became king over all Israel. But the whole study, if you're just jumping in now, is the period of time between when David was anointed king by Samuel and when he was appointed king by all of Israel. And that in that time period, uh, we're calling it the King's Academy, which also happens to be a shameless plug for our new school that's opening this fall. Last week, we rounded out the lessons David learned from his interaction with Saul. And while there were a lot more than the ones that we went over, uh, following that last confrontation, David says, even though Saul is like swearing up and down he's not going to take David's life, David comes away from that confrontation saying to himself and his men, listen, if we don't leave town, Saul's going to kill us. He's not going to stop until he kills us. And because of David's own honor and integrity that we talked about before, he wasn't going to fight back. And so some of your Bibles will say, like, David's, David lives among the Philistines. The subheading is David runs to the Philistines or something like that. And while running from Saul, David was, in fact, forced for a few chapters to live among the land of the Philistines. That time period, um, most uh, biblical scholars agree to be about a year and four months that he actually lived among the Philistines. And I want you to appreciate the irony of that for a minute, because this was a group of people that David had been fighting against in the name of God. This was, uh, this was a group of people that was inhabiting a lot of the territory that uh, God had called his people to come into. And so, so much of this interaction was, um, it had been toxic, it had been violent, it had been uh, warfare. And yet, David chooses, he opts out of the land of the promises. He opts out of the place of where he was famous, where he was, you know, songs were sung about him. And instead, he chooses to go and live among the Philistines. At this point in David's life, I want to be clear about a couple of things. Number one, David was Saul's enemy, but Saul was never David's enemy. And I think that it's important to understand that David knew something that Saul had long forgotten, and that's that uh, the, when the Lord looked down and saw his people, he saw them all collectively together. And so while Saul had it set in his heart that he was against David, David never made Saul his enemy. Um, not because Saul, you know, was a good friend, but because David knew the heart of the father. And so he ran more 
to keep Saul from sinning than he did to keep himself from dying. If you think about where he ran, the only place he could run, he ran more to keep Saul from sinning than he did to keep himself from dying. And I wonder sometimes about us as the sons and daughters of God, you know, when we, um, how many of our decisions are based on self-preservation? And while David does say like, hey, like he's going to kill us if we stay here, he's going to keep trying to kill us. David is not worried about dying. David is not really scared of much. But what he didn't want to do was ever become a stumbling block for his brother, Saul. And I think about us and how, how many times we could very easily, in fact, I think the Lord presents us with uh, opportunity after opportunity to remove ourselves from an equation for the purpose of removing a stumbling block from our brother or sister in the Lord. And, um, you know, I know that I've talked to uh, counseled marriages where uh, there's some really serious hurt, some serious wounds that are there that could have been avoided if another believer had taken a step back instead of allowed themselves to become a stumbling block. I think of uh, family relationships and, uh, and, and just brothers and sisters just across the aisle. But how often we end up becoming the thing that causes somebody else to sin. And, and saints, I want to encourage you, whatever sacrifice is required, I've encouraged people to leave a church for a season so that they don't cause somebody else to sin, so that they don't become a stumbling block to the healing process or whatever is going on in somebody else's life. I think that we have to take that high road at times and do the harder thing like David did. But he went to live among the Philistines for his last semester in the King's Academy. And for all intents and purposes, we will call this a semester abroad. Chapter 27, um, we're going to jump down to verses 5 through 7. David says, so basically he's living there. He's interacting with the leaders and he's talking to King uh, Achish. And he says, now, if I now have found favor in your sight, let, let them give me a place in one of the cities in the country that I may live there. For why should your servant live in the royal city with you? So Achish gave him Ziklag that day. Therefore, Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. All right, let's stop right there for a second. So I want to talk the very first lesson in this last, um, this last semester here of the King's Academy is favor. There's a reason why favor can't be the first lesson. I think a lot of us, we're sold on uh, the King's Academy when we're like, favor. <sighs> Making paper. There's a reason why favor has to come towards the end. Because if we don't get the heart of the Father first, we're going to get favor wrong. We're going to get it wrong. Some of us, we have been in fellowships and communities and we've been under bad teaching in the past that has taught us that favor exists so that we get what we want. Everything exists so that God gets what he wants. Let's just set the record straight right now. Favor is a thing. It's a real thing and it is on us as the sons and daughters of God. And I'm not going to take that away, but I am going to explain it for just a minute here, okay? So David is walking in favor. The favor of God is upon this young man. No matter whether he's in Israel 
or among the Philistines. Now, that's a dangerous thing. The Word of God says that his gifts are without repentance. What does that mean? That means that God's never sorry he gave you his gift, and he never takes it back. So whether you're living where you ought to be living or somewhere else, I'll let you fill in the blank there. The favor of God, uh, it's, it's going to be on you. And we see that. We see the gifts and the favor. We see the anointing of people who don't want anything to do with God, but they're out in the world. Well, how is that fair? It's not fair in our book. But the Lord's up to something. And so in his sovereignty, he gets to decide these things. Favor. So in the favor of God, David walks across the lines into enemy territory and begins interacting with the leadership and the government of the Philistines. So he goes in there, and he's talking to the king. He's talking to Achish. Let's see. So David uh, arose and crossed over, and he and 600 men who were with him to Achish, the son of Maok, the king of Gath. So he's a prince. He's the son of a king. And he says to him, listen, why, if I found favor in your sight, why am I going to live here with you in the royal city? Why don't you set me up in a city of your choice, wherever you think it would be appropriate for me and 600 of the guys who used to come out and, you know, cut you guys down for the fun of it. Where should we live? Favor. Achish gives him a city. We're going to talk about the city for just a few minutes, but if you're writing things down, Get this this morning. Favor is not for affirmation. It is for assignment. Favor is not for affirmation, which is the way that many of us mistakenly take it upon ourselves. Favor is for assignment. It's not so we feel good about ourselves, saints. You see, in Israel, this is why God had to teach him favor abroad. Because in Israel, favor equaled fame. It equaled all the young ladies hanging over the balcony saying, Ooh, David, here he comes. <laughs> That's what it was. Saul killed his thousands, but David killed his ten thousands. Shaking tambourines and banners and throwing like confetti and, you know, whatever. Favor equaled fame. And saints... We live, in this, um, we live in this culture today where, where families are broken, marriages are broken, fatherhood is broken. And what does that mean? What does that render? It renders a broken version of affirmation. And so when we come into the house of the Lord, when we accept the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the fact that Father God is our Father, we still require the affirmation that we required all along. We're wired to, to need affirmation, okay? That's not a, there's not a problem with you when you need affirmation. Wives, if your husbands require affirmation, that's not something wrong about him, okay? I just want to, like, get that out there because I think sometimes we're like, my husband just needs affirmation all the time. Yes, he does. He does. Good observation. But favor... The favor of the Lord is not for affirmation, it's for assignment. A rejected generation mistakes the weapons of God for the love of God. And when God distributes favor, it's to be used as a tool, as a weapon, in order to obtain a specific outcome. It is not for the sake of affirmation so that we just feel the love of God. See, that's the problem. That's where we get favor wrong. We're like, God just wants me to be rich. No, 
God's blessed you with finances because he wants you to be a part of building something on the earth. It is about assignment. There is plenty from the Lord for affirmation, okay? But the problem is that the love of God isn't enough when there's something inside of us that's broken. We're not able to receive it. Maybe there's some men in here who would be bold enough to say that, you know, before a transformation, maybe a marked men weekend or a retreat or maybe just a time at the altar, I couldn't receive God's love. Would anybody say that? Thank you. Thanks for that honesty and transparency. Because what happens is just the life that we live, sometimes the fathers that we have, there's something broken, there's something uh, missing. And so that whatever is dealt with from the father in love, just his love for us, the overwhelming, all-consuming love of God, it just kind of bounces off us and it never soaks in. But favor ends up looking like something. It ends up becoming something tangible. Sometimes it's a gift. Sometimes it's, um, it is uh, provision. It's finances. Sometimes it's, it's wisdom. Sometimes it's, it's ability. Sometimes it's strategy. Whatever it is, the favor of God. Sometimes it's just open doors. Did you ever know one of those people and they just know everybody? Randy's like that, one of our elders. Everything we need, Randy's like, I got a guy. <laughs> I got a guy for that. I got a guy. Don't worry. I got a guy. I'm like, I'm not worried about the guy. I'm worried about how you have all these guys, Randy. I'm worried. Like, why does the whole world owe you a favor? And more importantly, how do I get there? Favor. If the love of God isn't enough, we'll end up giving up more than we're taking back. And this is the deal. If favor had been mistaken for love, and David was a lover, David wrote the book on intimacy with God before Solomon literally actually wrote the book on intimacy with God. David was, was writing the prologue. David spent countless hours alone with the Lord in a field singing love songs. But if David had mistaken the favor of God for affirmation, he never would have been able to obtain in the Philistines what he was meant to obtain. Saints, as believers today, on this side of heaven, in many ways we live among the Philistines. But God has given us his unmerited favor, not so we feel better about ourselves. Not so we can adorn ourselves the way the world adorns themselves. Not so that we can, get, can wow everybody with our academic prowess. But so that we can accomplish an assignment that has been set before us. Because God wanted Ziklag. It was never the Father's heart that, that um, his promises stay contained in the geographical, political parameters of Israel. You see, what God wanted was the whole world. It's what he's always wanted. And his glory is going to cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. Amen? But part of taking that back is obtaining. It's acquiring with the favor God's given us. It's acquiring these places. So I'm just going to say it a couple more times here. Oftentimes as believers, I will, I will watch somebody lose a battle with the key to victory right in their hands. 
The favor is already there. It's already in them, on them, with them. But the battle goes unwon. The battle goes lost because we're lost in the favor. It's like if your wife gets you, like, let's say, a Makita drill set for your birthday. Let's just say your love language is maybe gifts or something like that. So she gets you this, and you have never felt more like a man in your life. You're like, <laughs> you know, this is what I, is every man has one of these. You know what I mean? Now I have something to hang on my tool belt. I have something to finally take up some space on my workbench in the garage. You know what I'm saying? And you're kind of like, <laughs> I'm such a man. I am such a man. I should grow a mustache for March. Milk mustaches are accepted as well. But really, your wife loved you, and it has nothing to do with the drill set. The drill set was because she wanted you to build her a custom closet. And she is pouring out on you all this favor in the form of power tools and Home Depot gift cards. Shut up, Basanda. And as you're taking them to yourself, you're saying, my wife loves me so much. I've never felt so loved. I've never felt so full of love. I've never felt so warm and surrounded and consumed. And I just want to sit here and spread out all my Home Depot stuff in front of me and look at it. And pray and worship. But the favor of your wife is not for affirmation. It's for assignment. We, we have a little work to do before Mustache March. You know what I'm saying, guys? A couple of days left. Build something in Jesus' name. The point is this. The point is the same thing is true of the Father's favor, okay? His love is unconditional, all right? His love is, is without end. You can't do anything. You can't mess this up. You can't get it wrong. Like, he's just going to love you, period. He's just gonna love you bigger and better and more than you could ever begin to get your head around. But the favor of the Lord, do not mistake it for affirmation because here's something else that happens. When the grace has lifted or the favor seems to run out, some of you, you've lived through seasons of your life where you had tons of money and then it dried up. Maybe it was the stock market, or maybe it was in real estate, or maybe something else happened and you had a, suffered a lawsuit and lost everything that you had. But when we mistake favor for affirmation, when the favor runs out, we don't think God loves us anymore. You see it on the back end, how screwed up this is? And then we walk around with our head down saying, he never loved me. If he did, he wouldn't have taken it. What you had has nothing to do with his love. It has everything to do with the assignment that's on your life. We got to keep going. This favor was a tool to take Ziklag. Ziklag, Ziklag. So Ziklag um, was a city that belonged to the Philistine. It was in the Philistine territories. It was like right on the border of um, the lower south, east, 
the southwest, yeah, thank you, of, of uh, Judah, right on the border of the Philistines. And, and this city sitting right on the line, uh, historians believe that because there's been um, some changing of some spelling uh, in some of these different Hebrew words for a couple of these cities, the most historians believe that Ziklag, while it was not the capital, it was actually a place of military strategy and outpost from which the Philistines obtained and acquired all the other cities in the region. They stationed themselves. It was a military outpost, Ziklag. And that's the city they gave David. Are you appreciating this? That's the city they gave David, the military genius, the, the weapon of heavenly warfare. The world gave David the city by which they obtained all the other cities. Okay, that's just for me, I guess. That's fine. I, where, where's Jamal at? Jamal, why are you not amending this? Okay. There he is. He's probably in the corner interceding for me right now. Or for my wife, because mustache march. But anyway, second one. Uh, Ziklag was also home to the Carathites and the Pelathites. And the Carathites and the Pelathites were, were two groups of people who, over the course, if you follow David's career as a king, the Carathites and the Pelathites who lived in the immediate surrounding areas of Ziklag he forms relationships with these men, and they became the Green Beret and the Black Ops of his administration. Every time David went somewhere and needed a military escort, you see, he would always bring the priests, and the priests were always of Judean descent, right? They were, they were the, the Levites and the sons of Aaron and Moses. But David brought his security team, too, and the Secret Service were the Carathites and the Pelophites, a people that he got while on his semester abroad in the King's Academy, inhabiting Ziklag. It was a people that he gathered to himself, and then they went with him. In fact, they were the ones who escorted Solomon when Solomon's life was in danger because David was appointing and anointing Solomon to be the next king. And they were the ones who walked alongside Solomon on the way for that process and parade. And the last thing, Ziklag uh, was absorbed into the inheritance. And that's really what it's all about. You may say, well, that, I don't really get it because I don't really have military strategy and whatever else. I'm, I'm asking you to see that the favor has been given to you for an assignment. And that assignment is for you to obtain a place from which to lead a place from which to serve, a place from which to acquire all that the Lord has called you to acquire. And even if that place seems a little outside your comfort zone, even if that place seems like it's among the Philistines, the very people that you've been fighting against all this time. Some of you guys, you have incredible testimonies of career changes, of life changes, of, of getting up and, and relocating your entire family across the country. But at the end of the day, the lowest common denominator there is favor and assignment. And there is something on you that New England required. There's a city here that needs the taking. Amen? All right, we got to go super quick. So he goes in, and I'm just going to do this one really quickly. But the second lesson is relatability. Write down relatability. You can't learn relatability in Israel. You have to learn relatability abroad. You know why? Because it's kind of like... It's kind of like the world as a second language. Uh, understanding how to live outside the bubble 
of the promises and all this other stuff. Well, Zach, don't I take my promises with me? Yes, but the world doesn't understand your promises. Has anybody ever tried to talk to the lost about, you know, what happens when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit? <laughs> they, they don't get it. You know what I'm saying? Have you ever watched any shows or TV or movies where they're, like, trying to depict a spirit-filled church? <laughs> it's, it's pretty funny. Yeah. Yeah. And it hurts. Yeah, it does. A lot of that's because of stuff we got wrong, but a lot of it is because we have lost the art of relatability. The church uh, has refused to um, let its favor carry it into the Philistines, into Babylon, into America, and actually make the relatable statement that we were always meant to make. We lost sight of the Great Commission somewhere. But relatability uh, for David looked like this. When he would go out on his raids while living in the Philistines, he would go out and it says this, um, David and his men went up and raided the Jeshurites and the Gerzites and the Amalekites, for they were the inhabitants of the land from ancient times. What land? The land that God wanted back. So David now, from the city of Ziklag, the military strategic high point, goes out, which by the way, if you remember all the way back to the first story, David learned how to forfeit the high ground when he needed to. And because he learned how to forfeit it as a freshman, as a senior, the Lord gives it back to him. So from Ziklag now, he goes out on these raids and he is absolutely slaying. He is wiping out a people that, by the way, are the people that the Lord had predestined for destruction. From before Joshua ever took the promised land, God said, wipe them out. Well, the people of God weren't super faithful in those days as they should have been, which led us to the book of Judges, right? We know that the people were not wiped out like they should have been. So David goes out and he wipes these people out. But when Achish comes, the prince, the son of the king, when he comes and says, David, what are you up to? David doesn't tell him the people he's wiping out. He answers him like this. If you would just go to uh, jump down to verse uh, 10. So Achish said, where have you made a raid today? And David said, against the Negev of Judah, against the Negev of the Jeremielites, and against the Negev of the Kenites. David answers a person question with a place answer. Because in a lot of ways, fulfilling the assignment that is on us requires us to see beyond what's in this place right now. David knew that the heart of the Father was to have it all back, to bring it all back under the covering and under the glory of his presence. But he also knew that if he had just been really, like, really uh, elaborative about what he had been up to, he would have been misunderstood. And they probably would have killed him or kicked him out, sent him back to Israel. They're like, what are you doing? So David allowed him to sort of believe. Some people just say David lied. And I'm not going to say he didn't. Right, Tim? I don't know what your Bible says, but mine doesn't say he lied. What it does say is that David spoke a language that the Philistines understood. When we tell the world, uh, when we're super clear about exactly what it is, let me give you the whole theology of what it is that I'm up to. The world doesn't understand that. That's why Jesus didn't walk around doing what all the Pharisees did. That's why he didn't walk around rubbing the law in everybody's face. Because there was no rubric for the law. 
There was no rubric to understand exactly what it was that Jesus had come to fulfill. So what he came as was the cherry on top. And we start there and work backwards. We start with salvation and work backwards. We start with the free gift. Some of you guys, you didn't, have, you didn't understand all the theology there was when you just said, hey, I don't want to go to hell. Seems like a good deal. Okay. I'll meet this guy, Jesus. I'll pray this prayer. I'll go down this road. I'll see what happens. And in his grace and in his sovereignty, he begins to disclose the wells of revelation that exist beneath the surface of the gospel. And as we start to drink of that water, a bigger picture starts to come into view and things begin to shift and change in our lives and sanctification starts to sink deeper and deeper and deeper. Whereas some of you, if you knew what you had to give up when you got saved, you never would have gotten saved. Anybody with me on that? What? I can't sleep with who anymore? Relatability. Relatability. David knew that he could achieve more blending in than standing out. Do you understand why this had to be a lesson you learn as a senior and not as a kindergartner? Our kindergartners right now are being taught to blend in with the world. If you have a kindergartner in a public school, they are being taught the language, the ways, the philosophies, the agendas of the world. They're being taught that their gender is fluid. Now a senior who is, is in their last semester of the King's Academy, who has already learned integrity and already learned honor and already learned identity and already learned fearlessness and already slayed giants and already learned accountability through friendship and already has a Jonathan in their life and already has uh, men and women of God walking alongside of them. Now, when they cross over and spend a semester abroad, the wheels aren't going to come off of their life. They're going to know who they are. So now blending in takes on a different purpose. Blending in becomes a part of obtaining the outcome. He attacked people that were a problem for both Israel and the Philistines. And that is true. If you go back, there's several places throughout Scripture where these different people groups uh, were a problem for the Philistines as well. And the Philistines would, would wage war on them too. But the point here that we need to make is that David, David didn't exist in the world. He, he served a purpose that was seeable in the natural. He fought enemies that were, the, that were the world's problem too. And I think sometimes, have you ever heard the saying, you're so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good? <laughs> Has anybody said that about me? Just be honest. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I think it about myself a lot, honestly. I'm like, what good am I? Anyway, the point is, I am heavenly minded. But our prayer ought to be that we can still do this world some good. What if we could still do Well, this world's going to hell in a handbasket, brother. We ought to just let it go. The sooner we all get there, the sooner it all goes up in flames. The sooner God presses the canceled button and the whole thing blows up in a mushroom cloud, the better off... What are you talking about? Yes, we know what's going to happen. But what if the Lord wants to use you to get something done in the meantime? Get up out of your bomb shelter. I'm not saying don't have one. 
He attacked the people who were a problem for Israel and the Philistines, and he attacked the people whom the Lord had ordered for destruction already. Think about Jesus. Jesus never allowed his faith to become a stumbling block for the world. Jesus' faith was only a stumbling block for the, right, for, for the self-righteous, for the religious, for the Pharisees. And I'll close with this point right here. So favor, relatability, and finally, his last lesson before graduation was how to be a hero. How to be a hero. And in parentheses underneath, not a hater. How to be a hero. I think we have, um, you know, we have Marvel and DC. We, we have superheroes. We have, you know, the lunchbox you carried all throughout grade school. We have things that tell us what a hero looks like in the natural. But I feel like the Lord wants to rewrite the book on this because I believe with my whole heart that he is raising up a generation of heroes. It has nothing to do with how old you are, by the way. The generation is a spiritual generation. This is a time and a season for the birthing of heroes, Amen. for the graduating of kings, of warriors. In chapter 30, something crazy happens. Um, in chapter 29, some of the other leaders of the Philistines, um, they decide to go up in war against uh, Judah and um, against Israel. And David is going to go with them. And for the first time, he's going to have to fight his own people. But it's at this moment, conveniently, when the favor runs out. It's at this moment when these other Philistine leaders, they look at David and they're like, they say to Achish, they're like, are you kidding? You're going to let this guy come into battle with us against his own people? Not today. No, 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 no. We know what this guy's done. We've seen the, uh, you know, we, we've seen the bloodshed. No way, because what he's going to do, he's flank us from the side, or he's going to come up from the rear. They're going to have us in the sandwich action here, and we're going to end up, you know, going south quick. We don't want him anywhere on our end of the battlefield. And so Achis is like, no, 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 he's good. And David's like, nah, I'm good, man. Send me in, coach. Send me in. He's like, I got a bone to pick with these people anyway. But the favor runs out. So David and his men, his 600 merry men, are sent back to Ziklag. And when they get there, they find out that the Amalekites had raided their town, their city. And with all the fighting men evacuated for uh, this battle that David thought he was going to fight but never should have, the town was left vulnerable. And all the women and all the children were carried off by the Amalekites. Well, they get back. They find their town. All their wives are gone. All their kids are gone. All their stuff is gone. And they're distraught. Said when David and his men came into the city in chapter 30, verse 3, behold, it was burned with fire. And their wives and their sons and their daughters had been taken. And then David and the people who were with him lifted their voices and wept until there was no strength in them. Now David's two wives had been taken captive, Ahnoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite. Moreover, David was greatly distressed because the people spoke of stoning him, for all the people were embittered, each one because of his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Verse 7 says, Then David says to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, Please bring me the ephod. 
So Abiathar brought the ephod to David, and David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this band? Shall I overtake them? You realize if the Lord had said no, David would have let it all go. But he seeks the Lord. And he said to him, the Lord said to him, pursue for you will surely overtake them and you will surely rescue all. How to be a hero. The first thing is, I, I want to appreciate here before I let you go, is that all his men, his loyal followers and faithful warriors who fought alongside him in battle after battle, they turned on him. Their wives and children were missing. Now David's was too, but they turned on him and there starts to be this murmuring and talk of stoning him. If you're writing things down, write this down. Heroes fight when allies are fickle. Heroes fight when allies are fickle. One of the wonderful things about our life as believers is the Lord has called us to fight alongside other incredible men and women of God. Mm -hmm. But our fight has to transcend these relationships. I can't tell you how many times over the course of ministry, I, I got hired in my first ministry position, I was really young. Let's just say mustache march wouldn't have mattered. But fighting alongside awesome, incredible men and women on local, regional levels, state levels, and moments came, trials came, trauma comes, loss comes, tragedy strikes. And what I've learned is that at the end of the day, it never comes down to who's with me and who's against me. It only comes down to what the Lord says. When David is distressed because his people are going to fight him, David is still willing to fight for them. They're going to fight against him, and he's going to fight for them. He's reliving the trauma of Saul right now. Saul wanted him dead, and now his friends want him dead. But the whole while, David defended Saul, and now he goes before the father defending his friends. And from that place, he seeks the Lord. He sought the Lord, by the way, instead of just jumping to fix it. That cannot be overstated. That statement, he sought the Lord first. Some of you guys, you came home one day and your wife was missing or your kids were missing. And ever since you've lived in a season of jumping to fix, 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 fix. Who can I go after? Who can I cut down? Who can I call? What arrangements can I make? How can I get them back? And we think we're Liam Neeson. And we're going out there and we're going to rescue them. Never once having taken the time to seek the Lord. I say to you, brother, sister, it's not about who's stoning you. And it's not about what's taken from you. It's about what the Lord says. Oh and finally, when the Lord says, go ahead and pursue them. 
surely you will overtake them and surely you will rescue all. And by the way, that was all. Every single one of them was alive when they get to them because they do, they pursue them. They chase them down. They get to a stream and half of his men get tired at the stream. They're weary already because they had gone out to fight the first battle that they got turned away from. They march all the way back to their city only to find it burned with fire. They're exhausted emotionally, spiritually, mentally. And so a bunch of them stay at the stream and David takes the rest of them with any strength in them and he goes on to pursue the Amalekites and to rescue everybody. And it's at this point when some of these men still sort of angsty, still sort of hurting and bitter and whatever about what just happened, they say, listen, the guys who weren't strong enough to go with us into battle, how about we do this? Let's just give them their wife and kids back, but none of the spoil because they didn't earn it. And David looks at him and he's like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? This victory that we just fought for, we didn't earn. This victory is everyone's victory. This victory is the Lord's victory. I wasn't the one who decided to come out and, and fight them. It was the Father. And because he commissioned this battle, he gets the victory. And when he gets the victory, we all yes, get the victory. Let's stand to our feet this morning. Haters will always be looking to exclude people from a victory they didn't fight for. But heroes only exclude haters from a victory they're not willing to share. You guys have heard me say it so many times over and over and over. When somebody comes down to this altar with a testimony, and you're going to hear some good ones. There's some good testimonies in here. There's, there's some life-changing testimonies in here. The reason why it's so important is because it's not just their testimony. It is a testimony that belongs to the body of Jesus Christ. Yes, sir. The testimonies that are shared at this altar are public domain. You get to use it, and you get to use it, and you get to use it. <laughs> you get it. We've got to get away from this thing that, that is seeking to exclude people. Jesus comes in and he, 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 says, to, he says to the Pharisees, saying, why are you making it so hard for people to to come to the kingdom. You're making it so hard to be a convert. Stop making it so hard. Saints, we are not out to exalt this place of Christianity. Jesus already exalted it. It's not our job to exalt it. It's our job to be the hand that reaches out, that gets a hold of somebody that couldn't reach it on their own. That is the blessing. That is the assignment. And that's why there's favor on your life. Yeah, yeah. Because there are still ziklags that need taking. There are wives and there are children. There's a generation. And I close with this. When those people came back, they were all set to mourn what had been lost. Haters mourn a lost generation. I hear them all the time. Talking about the kids these days. I always say that like it's like old people that do it, but it's not. It's young people. Because young people are like, you were just like that. <laughs> young people are like, I can't believe the kids that are coming out of these schools. I can't believe it, what they're teaching the kids. I can't believe the work ethic. I can't believe the whatever it is. Pick it. Pick your poison. Pick your bone. 
Haters mourn a lost generation. Heroes, go and get them back. Yes, sir. And I believe that that is the assignment on this church. That is the favor of God on this church. That's why we have been given Ziklag. That's why. You want to talk about a school? Wherever Gary, oh, he's out in the thing because service was supposed to be over five minutes ago. That's why a clinic is opening. That's why a school is opening. That's why God's given us the inroads that he's given us. That's why the carpet of red has been rolled out. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That's why there's so much favor. That's why it's so thick in here. You can't escape the testimonies and the victories and the rescue stories. You can't avoid them. Not so that we feel affirmed, but so that we can be the heroes that God wants us to be, to go and take it back. So Father, we thank you. We thank you for the academy that you're bringing us through. We thank you for the lessons that you've taught us. We thank you for the truths that we've learned and we pray today, Lord, that you would continue drawing us, even if it means beyond enemy lines, even if it means into the Philistines, into the Babylons, God, into, into uh, the, the politics and the governance and the media and the other nonsense of this world. God, I pray that we would go and that we would carry the favor that you've put on us. Lord, not, not for affirmation, but so that this assignment can be accomplished, so that the outcome can be obtained in Jesus' name. God, I pray for a new relatability, Lord, that we would learn a language, God, that would go between and build the bridge the way that Jesus built the bridge, God, that we would be able to talk to this world, that we would be able to interact on a new level with the people that are desperate and hungering and thirsting and hopeless. Father, help us. Help us to be the heroes that you've raised us to be. Help us to walk in the fullness of that strength and that power and that calling. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, God bless you guys. Have the best day of your lives. We'll see you next week. Go out and get that generation back. This is Pastor Zach, and you've been listening to HPC Sermon Notes. Love you guys. God bless you, and have the best day of your life.